Good morning. Um, we start a new series today called The Naked Truth, and um, as you may have gathered, it's around this idea, this morning anyway, that um, we would be shameless. And when I speak about being shameless, I don't mean shameless as in we feel nothing, but in being shame-free, being free of shame. But before we go any further, um, I just want to ask you to do something because we love to just participate and to lean in, and this is a safe safe space that we've created here. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn to the person next to you. Don't worry if you don't know them. It might be better. Um, and just tell them the thing that you're most guilty of, like your deepest secret, your thing that you're most <laughs> shameful of. You're not prepared to do that. Please don't do that, okay? I'm so glad that you didn't turn to someone and say, ah, you guys are just way, the first service, some people just went pale, like, are you serious? We got to do this? <laughs> so anyway, we're speaking about being shame-free, and this is so important because this is a relationship series, and if we want to honor God and we want to honor the people that we have relationship with, then dealing with our guilt and dealing with our shame is absolutely vital. It's just so important. And to understand what it means to be shameless, we've got to speak about guilt, and if we advertise, please come to church on Sunday because we want to talk about your guilt. I mean, who wants to talk about guilt, really? I mean, I do this morning, but nobody else wants to talk about our guilt because already it, you can feel like all the laughter went out the window there. Um, so let's go to the beginning. Where does this come from? Because this morning God wants to do an incredible thing in your heart as he's done much in my heart. And, um, and th there's, a, there's, a, there's a great story. There's a great, um, what's the word? There's a great promise that God has for us. But we should go to the beginning, and when I say to the beginning, I mean really to the beginning, to Genesis, not only the beginning of the Bible, but the beginning of the story of man. And God's just created all of creation and the birds and the fish and the hills and the whole thing, and then he makes man in his own image. And, 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 and when I say man, not men, but, but humans, mankind in his image, and he says that this, this is so good, but then he looks at the man and he says, it's not good for you to live alone. It's not good for you to be alone. And, and whenever I read this, I think of man's my wife because she has got all these stats as to how men live longer if they're married, you know? Yeah, they dress better as well and they're healthier, all these kind of things. I don't know where these kind of stats come from. But anyway, <laughs> that's what I get told. And so God seems to have a similar opinion and he says it's not good that, man's, that man lives alone. And so he, he causes the man to fall asleep. He takes a rib out of his side and he fills that space up. And he makes a woman from this rib. And the man looks at this beautiful woman and he says, at last, at last, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And I love this picture because I love marriage, and this is the picture of marriage where God says to, here's a man and a woman, and, and we come together in this union, not only with each other, but with, with us and with God, and, 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 and it's beautiful. Now the man, the verse carries on, and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. They felt no shame. And God had entrusted everything that he had made to them. And he said, listen, all this is beautiful and you can enjoy all of it. It's for your pleasure and you're responsible to it and you're supposed to look after it and that you steward it. But there's one area, there's a restriction. There's this tree that you're not to eat from. And so 
simple instructions, but the serpent comes, and we see this in, in chapter 3, and deceives the woman, and she's absolutely convinced. She's absolutely convinced that this is right, and so she eats the fruit. She disobeys God. She eats the fruit. Not only does she eat the fruit, fruit but she offers it to her husband, Adam, and, and he also disobeys God, and he eats the fruit. And the moment they do that, sin enters the world. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And, and, and here's the thing. Part of this beautiful picture was that God would come and walk in the garden with them. God made them for relationship, for intimacy, to be in, 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 come to be one with them and, and with each other. And so God comes walking in the garden, as he always did, to talk to them. And they hear him, and they're hard. They're hard because they're ashamed. Fear comes into their hearts, and they realize that we're naked. And God asks this question, and I love this question. He says, who told you that you were naked? Which seems like a stupid question because they were always naked, but they weren't aware of it before. The Lord asks, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? God knew exactly what was going on. And many of us would read that, and we see it as a rebuke, like, who told you you were naked? That's not what I believe God's heart is. I believe God's heart is a loving dad saying, but who told you? Who's deceived you? You see, what changed wasn't their nakedness. They were always naked, but their view of themselves changed because with sin came shame. And with shame, they realized that we are guilty, and they were guilty of disobeying God. But not only that, they see themselves as marred and damaged and not good enough anymore. And the serpent had succeeded in getting them to, to have doubt about their own identity. And so where there was this beautiful union, where there was this beautiful oneness, now we find this disconnect and we find division. And so many of us in our, in our relationships, we try, to, we try to make relationships work, but we don't realize that at the heart and at the root of what we struggle with is the shame and the guilt that we carry as individuals. And I've sat so many times with people that are struggling in marriage and struggling with different kind of relationships, and they're making it a relationship issue, and, 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 and so often it's not a relationship issue, it's a me and God issue. It's a, it's a me issue, it's, it's, it's my, my guilt and my shame and my pain. And God's got great news for us this morning around that. So they disobeyed God. The question I want to say is, were they guilty? They were absolutely guilty. And before we get too self-righteous, I want you to just throw something right at you, because I'm going to repeat this a bit this morning, is that every one of us, as we sit here this morning, are guilty of something. I'm glad you didn't tell the person next to you, but every one of us are guilty of something. And guilt is the emotion associated um, with acknowledging that we have done something wrong. And it is true that sometimes we have false guilt. You know, you get people that they just feel guilty. They haven't done anything wrong, but they feel guilty, you know? I always tease Mandy because Mandy and I walk into a room and if there's kind of tension and it's a bit awkward, Mandy thinks it's her. I never think it's me. <laughs> and it's the other guy. Why would it be me? You know? So we laugh about this. It's just personality thing, okay? But some of us feel, I'm not talking about false guilt. I'm talking about real guilt because we don't like to admit it, but we are guilty. And some of us live in denial around our guilt. And this is what Adam and Eve were doing. They were guilty, but then they begin to blame they begin to hide. Fear comes in. They begin to try and redirect. And God knew exactly what was going on. 
The truth is that guilt unattended to will always lead to shame. Guilt unattended to will always lead to shame, and it'll weigh you down, and it'll rob you of your peace. It'll weigh you down, and it'll rob you of your peace. Even as I speak, for some of us, we feel like our blood pressure's rising because of what we've been suppressing and hiding, and what if? I want to encourage you to just let God speak to you this morning. You see, we either become angry with ourselves or with others, or we don't deal with that, and then that leads to shame anyway. But shame will eventually define us, and when we are defined by our shame, we empower it. Do you know that? When we're defined by our shame, we'll empower it. And I know, because I've lived in that space many, many years of my life. Before I knew Christ and after I knew Christ, this was something that I've had to really wrestle with for different reasons. And this is one of the reasons why we, we are so committed to encouraging as many of you guys to become trained and equipped in our counseling department. Because we want to help people. There are so many people in our community that need to be able to have a conversation with somebody to help them from these places that are destroying relationships because of the the hurt and the guilt and what's going on in our hearts. And if you have any interest in that or you'd like to know more about it, I'd love you to speak to Gina. She's here in the front. We'll put your name down at the info table. Because in January, we're running our training. It only happens once a year. And we don't want anybody to miss out on that. But we need more people that can confidently sit down with somebody and say, let me, let me help you. Let me help you find freedom and healing. Shame has two big messages. It says, you're not good enough, and who do you think you are? <laughs> I don't know how many times I've had people say that to me in my journey. Who do you think you are? Well, you know what? When we're free, I'm God's son, that's all. I used to say I'm nothing. But then I realized that's kind of offensive to my dad. Now I say I'm God's son, because that's what I am. That's what we were singing just now. Shame is not guilt. See, guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is a focus on self. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. And for some of us, we sit here and we've decided that we are things that God says we are not because of the bad choices and the decisions we've made. And we live with the guilt. Maybe it's what you've put on you, or maybe it's what someone else has put on you, but it's not what God has put on you. See, the problem with shame is that it will influence all your relationships. You see, connection is what gives us meaning in life, isn't it? When we're connected with people, that's where God's designed us. But shame will unravel connection, and shame will unravel relationships. Because we hide, and we withhold, and we live in fear, and we don't love the way we're designed to love. Generously, fearlessly, lavishly, unconditionally. But something has to happen in our hearts before we can do that many times. Shame breeds fear and blame and disconnection. See, God didn't make us with that. He didn't make us with that. And when shame entered the lives of of, of Adam and Eve, that's exactly what came into their lives. Fear and blame and disconnection. They hid from God in fear. They blamed one another. And where the Bible says they were one, they now, there was a disconnection that took place. They, wanted to, they moved into a space of trying to control one another. God says women will try and want to have a desire to control man, and man will try and control woman. And we live with that today. So what does that look like in our relationships? See, friends, for some of us, we've lost hope in our relationships. And today, God's saying, if you'll just let me heal your heart, if you'll just let me set you free from that stuff, 
you'll see healing come into your relationships. So often the cause of, of shame is these things. And shame is closely connected to depression and addiction and eating disorders and violence and suicide and these kind of things. And God's saying, but I've got an, I've got an answer. I've got an answer for you. But here's the thing. The, the great news about this story is it didn't end with Adam and Eve sinning. Yes, God had to remove them from the garden so that he could restore, so that he could bring them back into a place of complete healing and restoration. And so many people miss what actually was taking place because so many people, especially if you've been involved in church and you've grown up, feel like everything starts and ends with sin management, and that's not the goal. You see, before sin entered the world, before sin brought separation, first God made you and he made me in his image. That's our starting place. We are made in the image of God. And that's what God restores us to. So many of us feel, think that the goal of what Jesus did on the cross is just to deal with sin. No, it's so much more than that. That's not even an issue. When we find relationship with Jesus. You see, we were made in, in, in God's image. We were marred by sin. And Jesus came to restore. In a sense, to remake. This is grace. The writer of Hebrews says, don't let anyone miss the grace of God. I love that verse. Hebrews 12, 15, don't let anyone miss the grace of God. I talk to my family about this all the time because I've got a passion for people to discover the grace of God because I know what that has done in my life. What is grace? It's a free gift. It's undeserved favor. It's the power of God working in your life and in my life, enabling and empowering us to live this righteous, holy, free life that God has given to us of peace and joy. That's what the grace of God does in our lives. It gives us the courage to deal with what we need to deal with. Grace is bigger than your shame. And I love what Paul just writes. He like summarizes a story in Romans chapter five. He says, but there is, therefore, there is, sorry, there is great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. No, aren't those great words? Even greater than our sin is God's grace. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Friends, grace leads to freedom and to a new life in Jesus Christ. This is what we find in Christ when we surrender our lives to him. You see, God without grace is religion. And religion is really our attempt to earn God's favor through keeping a bunch of rules, by ticking boxes, by trying to, by private perfection. And that's not the message of the gospel. That's not what, what we're preaching about this morning. That's not what grace is. You see, it's not enough to just understand. We have to experience it. And my invitation to you this morning is, would you, would you come to a place where you say, God, I'm gonna own what I've done but I'm gonna to look to you and ask you to bring healing 
and forgiveness and freedom. I'm going to receive your grace because that's what God does so that we might experience it. See, Paul uses the word grace over and over and over again all the way through his letters because he has such a revelation of what grace is. But Jesus never uses the word grace. Do you know that? And you might think, well, why are you talking about it if Jesus doesn't use the word grace? Well, the reason I'm talking about it, because he is grace. He demonstrates grace all the time. And there's this beautiful story that we often use it's in, that John talks about in, in chapter 8 of John's um, gospel. Jesus is preaching early the one morning. And um, I love that, that, he, that even though he's preaching early, there's obviously a crowd of people there. And suddenly there's this, religious, this group of religious people drag this woman in. And they throw her down before Jesus, and, and, and they make an accusation. They say, she's been caught in the act of adultery. Now, they don't care about this woman. They're trying to catch Jesus out, and they say to him, the law, religion, says that we should kill her, we should stone her. What do you say? And so Jesus bends down, and he writes in the sand, and then he stands up, and he says, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. And John says, one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to drop the stones. And they leave. And he bends down to this woman, and he says to her, where are your accusers? Where are those that condemn you? And she says, they're gone. He says, is there no one left? She says, I have none. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and live a life free of sin. If you're a religious person, you'll focus on the go and live a life free of sin. I don't believe that's what Jesus was focusing on. Jesus was focusing on grace. Jesus was focused on grace because when, when you meet Jesus, when you receive his grace, sin gets dealt with. We live in freedom. That's what he set us free from. It's no longer, we no longer slaves to that stuff. Was she guilty? She was absolutely guilty. She was guilty of adultery. Some of us sitting here are guilty of sexual immorality on some level or another. Some of us live with the shame of what's hidden around that. God says the story is for you. Because Jesus is reaching his hand out and he's saying, I don't condemn you. And I'll explain why. You see, this was the worst day of her life. Her secret was getting exposed. But her worst day of her life was about to become the best day of her life because she met Jesus in that place. She was meeting Jesus in the midst of that. And you see, friends, it's in our brokenness. She was broken. She was humiliated. She was full of fear. And rightly so, because of what was the intention of these, these people. But she met Jesus. And I know that's how I met Jesus, in brokenness. And I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what guilt or shame you carry. But today, God's saying, I want to meet you where you are, because I love you. Jesus didn't say, oh, no, 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 she's not guilty. He's, he acknowledged she was guilty. But he extends grace and he says, because you have met me, you can go and live a sin-free life. You can be free from this. God's grace is greater than your secret. It's greater than your shame. You see, for many of us, our greatest fear is that our secret would be known. Our greatest fear is that somebody would know the things we've said and the things we've done, the things we've hidden. And that secret is making us sick. That secret is robbing us of our peace and our joy. And this morning, my heart's prayer is that, that when you walk out of this place, you would walk out with no, no shame because you've left it behind. We're going to break bread in a, just at the end of the message. 
and we're going we're gonna to share in communion, remembering what Jesus has done, because Jesus died to set you free and to set me free from my sin and your sin. You see, often we deny our own guilt. We try and hide it, and we try and build us ourselves. We deny our lust and our pride and our greed and our selfishness and our bitterness. And I want to say to you that this morning, God wants to set you free from that stuff. We keep it from ourselves by comparing to others and by justifying what we do and what we've done. How do I know this? Because I've done it, man. I've done it so many times. We believe lies like this. If I tell the truth, it's going to hurt that person, so I better keep quiet. Well, here's the truth about shame. Shame needs three things to grow. It needs secrecy, it needs silence, and it needs judgment. It needs secrecy, silence, and judgment. And some of us are so scared to just to acknowledge our guilt because we've received such judgment, and many times from the church and many times from Christians. And I'm so sorry if that's you, but I'm so aware of that because that's been me and my journey. But you know what? That's not God's heart, and that's not the heart of this church, and that's not the heart of God's people. Don't live with your guilt and shame. Bring it out in the light because Jesus knows already, man. He just wants you to say, God, would you forgive me? Would you heal me? You see, there's no freedom without grace. There's no freedom without grace. The woman learns that grace is greater than her shame. Jesus doesn't only forgive her of her sin, but he gives her a second chance. And this is so heavy on my heart this morning that many of us sitting here, we think that I will, never, I will always be a second-rate husband, a second-rate wife, a second-rate friend, a second-rate Christian, a second-rate son or a daughter because of what I've done. I lived under those titles as somebody bef- from before I knew Christ and, and after I knew Jesus when I'd messed up. I want to say to you, that is not God's word for you and it's not God's heart for you because you cannot be second-rate in the kingdom of God. With the grace of God, he, he doesn't only forgive us, but He gives us a new start. He loves giving us new beginnings. And some of us this morning, as we break bread, need to say, God, thank you that I am free, that I can walk confidently and, when I say proudly, not arrogantly, but with a confidence and a rest in God because you're God's son and you're God's daughter. I can stand here on one basis this morning, and it's the grace of God, not on goodness and not on anything else, but simply because God's grace is mine like it is for you. And I'm his son, and you're his child. My, tra- my prayer is that you will truly encounter God's grace, that it'll become part of your story as it's a part of my story. In the same way that Jesus says to the woman, neither do I condemn you, Jesus says to you this morning, neither do I condemn you. Paul says it like this. He writes to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. He says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If you're sitting here and you're feeling such condemnation because of your secret, because of your guilt, because of your shame, God's saying there's a better way. There's another way. See, Paul doesn't try and hide his guilt. He was guilty of trying to stop everything God was doing. He was a murderer. He was a madman. He was trying to go out and, 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 and arrest and imprison and, and squash what God was doing through his church. 
and he meets Jesus, and the grace of God comes into his life. And he has this revelation that he can't stop speaking about, where he talks about the grace of God over and over and over again. And so he says with confidence, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As a result of what God has done, there is no condemnation. In Christ Jesus, your past is neither forgotten nor is it condemning. You see, for many of us, we think if I still remember, then it's still there. No, 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 no. I will always remember what I've done. But I don't walk with the guilt and the shame because God has done a work in my life. Your past, it can be faced even though it can't be erased. You can't erase the past, but we can face it with no pain, with no guilt, with no shame because of the grace of God. It can be embraced and you can live without condemnation. You no longer need to pretend it didn't happen. You no longer need to live under condemnation, either, either the self-condemnation that you bring or the condemnation that others bring upon you. And friends, there's only one place that you find this freedom, and it's in Christ Jesus. It's in relationship with Jesus. You see, those who are willing to admit their guilt, to acknowledge it to God, and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, stand uncondemned and are able to find freedom no matter what. Paul carries on, he says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. This is what God does. So God did what the law could not do. You see, rule-keeping and ticking boxes and trying to be a good person was never gonna give you freedom. That's what religion says. You can't do it. It's what God does. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice to our sins. Isn't that good news? Man, that's good news. How do we step into God's grace? We receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Through relationship with him, through embracing everything that, that, that he's done, through stepping into this new covenant relationship by owning our guilt and just confessing it because here's the thing, you can't surprise God. But when we come to God and we say, God, thank you. Thank you. I don't have to hide, but I can stand in all my vulnerability and receive grace and forgiveness. This is the whole point of the gospel. That he, Jesus, who knew no sin, took all of our sin upon himself. That we might enjoy being the righteousness of God. That we would be in right relationship. Remember, God's aim is not to make you good. God's aim is to restore relationship with you like he made you in his image for relationship in the beginning. And God's goal is to restore relationship with you. This is the whole reason Jesus came, was to make things new, to take what was broken and to restore it, to turn it into something beautiful. It's what he did for the woman that was thrown at his feet. It's what Jesus wants. He wants the guilty. He wants the shamed. He wants the broken. Because he wants to restore. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't only forgive us of our sin, but he freed us from the guilt that goes with that. 
Now, I don't know what causes you shame. I don't know what thing you've done or has been done to you that screams out at you that you're not good enough, that you're not loved, that you're second rate, that says, who do you think you are? That points a condemning finger at you. I don't know what those things are. Those things that say you haven't only done wrong, but you are wrong. Those things that rob you of your confidence before God and your peace of heart and peace of mind. But friends, would you hear Jesus' words that are echoed by Paul where he says, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to ask the music team just to come up. So what should you do? What should you do? Because I'm going to give you an opportunity, and this is between you and God, but I'm going to give you an opportunity. Because I don't want us to miss an opportunity. What do we do? We confess. What does that mean? We acknowledge our guilt. We acknowledge our failure. We acknowledge that stuff before God. And we say, God, this is me. Would you help me? Would you forgive me? And I don't care what it is that you've done. It doesn't matter how terrible it is. It doesn't matter whether other people think it's forgivable or not, because God says it is. And God wants to bring freedom for you and your relationship so that you can forgive, because not only does God give us freedom for ourselves, but when he does that, we find it easy to give forgiveness and love and grace. This was such a revelation for me when I came to know Jesus because I understood my own guilt and my own shame. I realized that many of my friends were so self-righteous because they didn't really understand their own guilt. See, Jesus says to him who, is, who much has been forgiven, much is, is, there's much love. I want to tell you, God's forgiven me of so much. God has forgiven me of so much. If I could turn back the pain I've caused, I would, but I can't. But you know what I have can do? Is I can rely on God's grace. And I've watched God bring healing to me and bring freedom to me. I've watched God bring healing and restoration to those that I've caused pain and damage. And God wants to do that in your relationship. He wants to do it in your marriage. He wants to do it with your, you and your children. He wants to do it with you and your friends and your extended family. He wants to bring healing. Because man, he's a loving God. Friends, we are guilty of something. Because actually, you did break that person's heart. Actually, you did betray that person, if we're honest. Actually, we did lie to get our own way. Actually, we were irresponsible with our, with our bodies in that season. Yes, we did know better, but we did it anyway because it's what we felt like doing. Does that sound like some of you? It certainly sounds like me. And so our starting point is just to say, God, I recognize that I'm guilty, but, but it doesn't stop there. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Won't you bow your heads for a moment? As God speaks to your heart, I want to remind you of this, that when God looks at you as his child, he doesn't see your sin, he sees 
the one he loved. When he looked at that woman when she was thrown at his feet, he knew her. He knew her before she was formed in her mother's womb because he created her and he created her in his image. And he loves her. And he did not see an adulterer. He saw his daughter. And God looks at you and he doesn't see the label of your guilt and your shame. He sees his son and he sees his daughter and he says, would you just acknowledge it so that I can bring healing in your life? And more than that, he wants you to see yourself like that. And he wants you to see others the way he sees you and the way he sees others. And so I'm gonna pray a prayer. And then we're gonna, I wanna pray two prayers. The first prayer I wanna pray as our heads are bowed. I don't know everybody here, and maybe there's someone here, you've never, you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You've never surrendered your life to Him. And I'm not gonna ask you to come to the front, but I wanna pray a prayer, and I invite you to pray this prayer to start a conversation, to start a journey of following Jesus. And so if you wanna pray this prayer, why don't you pray it after me? Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I've heard what you've done for me. And you know what I've done. And I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender. I'm making a decision to follow you. Would you help me with that? In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for what you are speaking into our hearts, and I thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. Lord, as we come to the table, and we take of that bread, and we take of that wine, Lord, I thank you as we remember that your blood was shed, that we might be free, that we might be forgiven, that we might be healed. I thank you that we leave behind our guilt. We leave behind our shame this morning that we might walk in freedom. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. So friends, when you're ready, the worship team is gonna just lead us in the song. When you're ready to go and help yourself at the table, please do that. And then I'll close in a few moments when we've, when we've all served ourselves. Lord, we are so grateful for your love. We are so grateful, Lord Jesus, for what you have done for us. And Lord, I pray just that every single one of us would have a fresh revelation, a fresh understanding, a fresh experience, Lord, of your grace in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that your grace is not for some, but it's for everyone, for everybody. We thank you for that, Jesus. And so, Lord, as we go out, as we go out to engage in our relationships, as we go out to love people, as we go out to do what you've called us to do, I thank you that we go with your power, with your grace, with your strength, with your wisdom, with your joy. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus. Amen.